Beautiful song, beautiful song written. Thank you so much. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Sarah, Robin. Thank you, teens. Thank you, Johnsons, for taking them and putting together that video. Very good, very good. Take your Bible, if you would, this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going through the gospel of the book of Mark on Sunday mornings. This morning we're going to talk about the emptiness of of religion the emptiness of religion we focus so much in this world on religion religion people say two things I want to talk about politics and religion that's probably what I talk about the most besides sports those three things is probably what I talk about the most so we're gonna look at the emptiness of it mark chapter 11 this morning And let's start in verse 11. Mark 11, starting in verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into the temple. When he had looked around, put all things, and now even time was come, he went into Bethany with the twelve. On the morrow, when they were come to Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, and happily he might find any thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, 
the time of the figs was not yet. When Jesus answered and said, it, No man can eat fruit of, of thee there hereafter forever. And disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went to the temple, into the temple, and, and began to cast out them that sold and brought into the temple over through the tables of the money chambers, money, money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. He would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he, he taught them, saying unto them, It is written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and, and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all people were astonished at his doctrine. When the evening was come, he went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is, without, with, is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto him, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he, say, he, ha, he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when he started, pr stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. For if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Father, thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that we have this wonderful word which we can teach from, preach from, that is so precious. I pray that, Lord, that you would just guide us this morning again through your word and through your spirit. I pray if there be any element, Lord, that is lacking, maybe lacking of faith in our lives this morning, or lack of forgiveness, or maybe there's a lack of fruitfulness in our lives, that, Father, you'd help us, Lord, supernaturally to see it, because without your help, it is impossible to see it. Only through your word and only through your spirit can we see anything. Lord, we're incapable in of ourselves, but we need you, Father. We need your grace. We need your mercy. I pray, Father, that you would bless today. May Jesus Christ be glorified. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we mentioned, and as the song was saying, Jesus had gone on the Jericho Road, where there's room for just two. <laughs> and that's Jesus, and hopefully that's you. He was over at Jericho Road. He was into Jerusalem, as we talked the last time. Many people debate when it was actually he came in on that Sunday or came in on that Monday. He would spend time throughout his day, usually in Jerusalem. He was that Passover lamb that would be examined, as we talked about. This was a time where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals would be brought into the city for the Passover time. They estimated over sometimes, possibly even in this day, nearly two million people would be in the city, even at this time. They estimated that by the amount of animals who were actually slaughtered during this time. So there'd be lots of people, lots of animals for the sacrifice of sins, but there would only be one person that would get pay for our sins. All the slaughter of all the animals, of all mankind, can never save one person. But Jesus Christ, slain before the foundation of the world, died so we could have everlasting life. So he'd spend his days typically in Jerusalem, then he'd go back just a few miles to Bethany to spend his evenings with Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha. 
So now he's, he's going towards the temple. He wants to be, see the temple. And now he's on his way. And we know that as he goes and as he spends time in Jerusalem, this place where he loved, this place that's seen the death of kings, this place that had been destroyed by Babylon, had gone through so much, his heart had to be broke. He had to be sad because he knew what was coming. His end was nigh. Many people believe that the passage that I just read to you, the, the events of that passage was probably this on a Tuesday as he's preparing for the Friday where he would be crucified. What can we learn from this passage of scripture about the spiritual life of the Jews and ultimately ourselves? First of all, this morning we see the curse. We see the curse in verses 12 through 14. We see the curse. It says on the morrow when they were come to Bethany, he was hungry. He was hungry. He knew he was getting ready to do something monumental. He was getting ready to do something that he needed much energy. He needed sustenance. And he's seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves. He came and happily he might find any thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And looking and studying about the fig tree, this, of course, Israel is known, especially in this day, for having fig trees. Remember, I believe it was Nathaniel who Jesus found under the fig tree. Figs were, not, were, were notoriety at this, at this place, and, and especially at this time in ancient Israel. And interesting enough about the fig tree is sometimes you see a tree and you'll see, you'll see the, the, the leaf first and then the fruit. But a fig tree, particularly about a fig tree, the fruit would be first and then, and then the leaf. So you saw, you saw the green of the tree and thought, well, surely there was figs, even though it was not the actual time for the best harvest. Actually, the time of the harvest would be later on in the year. But he, saw, he thought, certainly there would be something there, something there would be some fruit, something to give me sustenance, something that would help me, something that would ease my, my hunger, hunger pains. But there was nothing there. There was nothing there. It says, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs has, was not yet. And Jesus answered unto it, No man eat fruit of thee there hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. This extraordinary incident was not so much about the fig tree itself, but really about the condition of Israel. He came to Israel hoping to be accepted. He came into his own, and his own received him not. He came to the fig tree with anticipation, but received nothing. How sad it was that the king of the Jews would be rejected by the Jews. See, that's what religion does. Religion produces, does not produce any fruit. Religion does not produce any fruit. Matthew chapter 7 verse 18, a good tree cannot, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Luke chapter 16, excuse me, verse chapter 13, verse 6, Jesus spoke a, he spoke a parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit therein and found none. And he said in the dress of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it. Shout, cut it down. What's the principle? The principle is a tree by its nature, why it was created, is to bear fruit. 
Israel, why it was created, was to glorify and to accept the Messiah. We, as humans, the reason why we are created is to worship God. That's the reason why we exist, to glorify Him, to worship Him. That's why we are here. And if we are not doing that, dear friend, we are fruitless. How difficult is life that I see so many people live without any purpose, living their life nine to five every day, going to a job they hate, living in a home where there's no love, it's just a house, there's no home, going through the motions because they're just living a life without any purpose. They think the purpose of life is getting more stuff or having more things or being better or or being happy where they miss the whole purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? The Bible says whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, we do all to glorify God. That's the purpose in life. What purpose are you living for today? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? What's your goal? Why do you live? The fruit tree, this fig tree, had a purpose to produce fruit, but it did not do so. See, only righteousness, internal righteousness, which does not come from the outside, but only comes from the inside, from a relationship with with Jesus Christ, that produces fruit. The Bible says, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance against there's such no law. James chapter 3, verse 18, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace in them that make peace. Do you have these fruits in your life? You say, how do I, how do I, how do I cultivate that type of fruit? By getting to know Jesus Christ is the greatest way to cultivate fruit in your life. How do we know that? John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine. My father's a husband, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth Fruit, he purges that they may, they may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If, I, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be, in my, be my disciples. Oh, dear friend, how wonderful it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and how different it is than just religion. Religion can do nothing for you. Formalism can do nothing for you. Just showing up to church and dressing up and singing songs. If this is all of your Christianity, you don't have Christianity. It must be more than just showing up at a service. It must be more than putting on makeup and combing hair. 
if you had hair. It has to be more than that. It must be a relationship that is part of your every moment of your life. Without him, you have nothing. Without him, you are nothing. It's all about him. It's all about him. But when we get back to realizing he is the true vine, and he is the source of our strength. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, For by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. If we just realize the source of the strength that he is, if we realize that every breath, every heartbeat, every step, every noise we hear, every scene we see, is all because God. This last week, I took a day, and my wife and my wife and daughter went to Daytona Beach, and we looked up. My, my daughter drugged me out to the, see the sunset. She just she just had to go see it. Actually, I helped her get up a little bit. <laughs> we got out there. Anything interesting on the beach? You're, everybody's waiting for that sunrise. I mean, everybody's on their phones just doing like this. You look to your right. You look to your left. And you see that glorious sun. And most people don't realize without God, that's nothing. God hung the sun in space. And it is nothing without God. How small we seem compared to the sun, but compared to God, it's just another sun. In another galaxy. In another universe. Oh, dear friends. Be fruitful, realize that the source of our strength is in God, that he is everything. You ever, you ever start trying to use something and you just feel so frustrated because it's not working? I mean, you, 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 you know, yesterday I was out there trying to cut grass and I got that old, that, old lawn, that old lawnmower, that old craftsman lawnmower. I pulled on that thing so many times I thought I was going to pass out right there. I just about wanted to curse it. It wasn't fruitful. It wasn't working. Ladies, you ever try to turn on the microwave? Didn't work, or the oven didn't work, the laundry didn't work, the, the, it didn't work. You get upset, you're frustrated. I, sometimes I wonder if God looks down on us and says, "Won't you glorify me? Won't you? I've given you so much. I've given you life. I've given you breath. I've given you health. I've given you everything, and you're wasting it. You're wasting it. You're being fruitless." We see the curse, but secondly, we see the cleansing. Look at verse 15. They come to Jerusalem. Jesus went to the temple, began to cast them out, sold and brought in the temple, over through the tables, money chambers, the seats of them that sold doves, would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel to the, through the temple. What's the background of this incident? We find it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me, the Lord whom you seek. So suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now Jesus, of course, had visited the temple way back when he was 12 years old. The temple has much rich history. I read a little bit about it this, this last week. It goes back even to Genesis chapter 22. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 22 in a few weeks. We've been studying through the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham. 
It goes back to Genesis chapter 22. When G, remember when, when Abraham was, was taking his son Isaac, probably a teenager, probably 16, 17 years of age, the one that he prayed for, the one that he longed for. And then God came to him one night when, when said, Abraham, and, and Abraham said, here am I. And he said, well, take your son, thou only son, and take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. They did it obediently. Instead of sacrificing Isaac, Abraham sacrificed a goat. It was on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah. A few hundred years later, David would buy this land from a man by the name of Ornan. You find it in the book of 1 Chronicles. David wants to build a temple on this land. But he was, a, he was a bloody man, and though Nathan at first said, go ahead, Nathan then heard from God and said, no, you've got to go back to David because he's a bloody man. You, you, he can't be him. It's only going to be through his son that the temple is going to be built. And so Solomon built a, built a glorious temple that you're going to read about in the Bible. Ultimately, that was destroyed by the Babylonians. But under Zerubbabel, 70 years later after their captivity, another temple was built. Not so as grand as Solomon's temple. The old men weep, the young men laugh, the Bible says. For that temple ultimately was remodeled or, or enhanced by a man by the name Herod. And in 70 AD, Antiochus Epiphanes came and set up an altar of Jupiter and slaughtered pigs on the altar. The abomination of desecration, which is just a forethought of what's going to happen in the tribulation when the Antichrist does the same thing on another temple in the future. There will be a temple during the, during the tribulation. There will be a temple during the millennium. So this is this temple. This is a place where there's supposed to be worship. This is a place where there's supposed to be prayer. This is supposed to be a time, a place where the word of God is read. Instead, it's a place where Jesus called a den of thieves. Why did he call it a den of thieves? Why was it such a, a wicked thing? Well, it was because of the practices of the leadership. People would come. Remember, I told you it was a Passover time. People would come in bringing animals, doves, pigeons, animals. And sometimes the, the temple priests, they would have to bring this animal. It had to be spotless. But the priest, all he had to say was, it's not worthy. And so they could not use that animal. They had to buy the animal from the flea market inside the temple. Guess, how, guess what? It cost a whole lot more there. They had to pay a tax to get in also. And there was exchanging rates of, of money. They used sometimes Gentile money, and they would exchange that for Jewish money, and there was a 25% increase in currency. It was all corruption. It was all wickedness. The temple of God was a den of thieves. The church house was corrupt. And what's happening in too many churches in America today, yay, in the world, the church has become corrupt. The world has become inside the church. The problem in America is not in the White House. The problem in America starts in God's house. Judgment begins in the house of God. Until God's house gets right, the United States of America will never be right. It starts with us. It starts with revival in our own homes, in our own churches, in our own lives. It starts with us. So what did Jesus do? Did he get up there and say, well, you folks need to just leave right now? Did he hold up a sign and say, this way out? No. Jesus drove all of them out. I believe supernaturally drove all of them out. 
I'd love to have been there to see the animals flying and fleeing and the people getting out as fast as they could. Jesus is not some sissified man. He's a man's man. He's the son of God, the son of man. And he drove them out because Jesus wants his house clean. Jesus house wants his house pure. That's why even in this place, in this whole entire facility, this is the most important place, the sanctuary, because it's where God's word is preached. It's where it's taught. That's why we, 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 we do things special in this house. We, we don't do other things in this room because it's special. It's holy. It's set apart. And God's house should be a place of prayer. It should be a place where the word of God is taught and preached. Oh, dear friends, how important it is for us to be clean, important for us to be holy before God. We see the Lord's fearlessness, but not only that, we see the Lord's foes in verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. <laughs> they didn't like the fact that what he was doing, they didn't like the fact that their, their money was being, ta- was, being, was being touched. Oh, dear friend, you could do a lot of things to a person, but you touch his money, that's when, that's when everything goes downhill after that. They were upset about what he was saying, and they had to, they had to do something about it. And he left the city to go back to Bethany. But it says in verse 21, or excuse me, verse 1, in the morning, he, as they passed by, he saw a fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter calling in remembrance of them, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered. Why was it withered? Because he which gave the life to the tree had cursed it. It withered. Peter was fearful. What would happen? How did Jesus respond? Look at verse 22. We see the curse, the cleansing. But thirdly this morning, the counsel. Have faith. And Jesus answered, saying, Then have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, Whatsoever shall say, say unto this mountain, be, be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, thou shalt not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, and shall watch, and ye shall have whatsoever he saith. The Lord answered, does not seem to have to do anything with, with Peter's observance of the fig tree. But what he was talking about was not just, again, the fig tree. He knew ultimately, yes, there will be a time when Israel would be destroyed. And we know 70 A.D., the temple would be destroyed. But ultimately, it would be a time in the life of Israel, which we know is, is yet to come, when they will believe. Oh, they're go- they've gone through hardship. They've gone through suffering. They've gone through pain. They... They've cursed themselves, and the Bible says that they said in his crucifixion, your blood be upon us. Brother Pete read from Acts chapter 22, where Peter preached that you, you Jews, have crucified the Lord, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have done it, and certainly they have gone through difficulty. But one day, they will look upon him who they have pierced, and they will repent of their sins. One day they will. Have faith in God. It seems like it's impossible. Sometimes we have troubles and trials in our life that seem impossible. You may be going through that in your life right now. Maybe in a job. Might be in a relationship. Might be in a, a financial situation. You may seem things that may, may be impossible. I reminded just a few weeks ago, I preached a message about Mark and the man who had a demon-possessed boy. He cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, if thou canst do anything... I love how Jesus responded. He said, if thou canst believe. But see, the reason why we don't have 
what God wants us to have is we don't believe. We don't believe. We say we believe, but if we doubt, if we doubt what God has said, if we ask in fear or we ask wavering, dear friend, we won't have. You have to ask in faith, nothing wavering, the Bible says in the book of James. Do you believe? Do you believe? I love the song John Newton wrote, not just Amazing Grace, but one that is not often heard of called Come, My Soul, Thy Suit Prepare, Thy Sweet Prepare. Thou art come to a king, large petitions would thee bring, for thy grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. Do you often go to God in faith, trusting him that he can save that relationship? That he can fix that situation? That he can work in that? You say it's impossible. Yes, with men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. I didn't say faith in your flesh. I didn't say faith in the other person. I didn't say faith in that, cir faith in that circumstance. I didn't say faith in faith. For if your object, if you just believe just to believe's sake, nothing will happen. If your faith's not in God, nothing will happen. See, the object of your faith is just important. This is important even more so than your faith itself. It's not faith in you. It's not faith in what you think. It's faith in God who can do the impossible. Do you have faith? Faith. He says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Well, if you were in a Sunday school class, you heard about a man who was on a road that said, had a signs that says, do not be here after dark. And he prayed that that old car that was running 45 miles an hour down I-10, which should have been running 85 miles an hour, he prayed a sincere prayer, and God healed that car, and he drove all the way home to Florida. You would have heard it if you'd been to Sunday school. That's why you come to Sunday school. Oh, how many people have prayed a prayer in faith? Simply asking. Simply, it's just childlike faith. Believing, trusting. But that faith is not just coupled with faith. It's also forgiveness. Look what he says in verse 25. We stand praying, 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 asking, forgive. We have ought against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. You say, preacher, I don't, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm not getting. Maybe the reason why you're not getting is because you're not forgiven. You're not forgiving. You say, well, I really want this. But do you really want to be right with God? Have you forgiven yourself? That's sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Have you forgiven that other person? You don't know what they've done. No, dear friend, I don't know what they've done, but I know how much Jesus died for you and forgiven you of everything that you have done. And if Jesus Christ has forgiven you everything that you have done, shouldn't you not forgive that person anything they've done unto you? For dear friend, if you won't forgive them what they've done for you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. That's what he said. And the reason maybe things aren't happening in your life because you are not holding on to that bitterness of what your mom did to you, or what your uncle did to you, or what your friend did to you, or what someone has said to you. You're still holding on to that bitterness, that hurt, 
that harbored hurt of something that happened years ago, you're still holding on. That's why you're not getting your prayers answered. This last two weeks ago, a friend of mine posted something on social media that was not something that I thought she would post. Instead of saying something to her on that post, I privately responded and said, that didn't sound like you, and she explained why she said it. And basically the reason why there was unforgiveness, and I begged her, I encouraged her, I shared with her passage, these passages of scriptures, which I'm going to read to you, of the importance of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness, dear friend, is not so much about them, it's about you. You say, well, dear friend, they, they might not deserve forgiveness. It's not about if they deserve it or not. If they, I don't feel like forgiveness. It's not about if, they, if you feel like it or not. It's not whether they, they deserve it. It's not if you feel like it. It's a command. Do it. It's simple. A command. Do it. Matthew 6, 14. For you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you of course the greatest example is jesus christ we'll read this passage in a few weeks maybe a little more than that but ultimately he was on the cross and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do they crucified the person who created them and yet he forgave them what are you holding on to today What relationship is not right? Because you're licking your wounds about something that happened 25, 30 years ago. Dear friend, let it go. Ask God. You say, well, I don't know how. Start with asking God to give you the strength to do so. And then do it. You say, well, someday. No, no, no. It's not someday. It's today. You, you want to be released from your imprisonment of pain and regret and sorrow and struggle. A lot of people have physical issues. A lot of people have anxiety and worry and bad relationships, all because of unforgiveness, all because of unforgiveness and harbored hurt in the past. You don't have to. You don't have to. You choose to. God is willing to forgive you. Are you willing to forgive others? You see, dear friend, a fruitless life is empty. A house full of stuff, like the temple, those people who had, had animals and spices to sell for the sacrifices and, and things all in that house. It was, it was a house full of stuff, but it was empty, really. The temple was full of stuff. It was really empty. And an unforgiving spirit will leave you empty. I'm begging you this morning, don't live a life of emptiness. I see it so often. I see people married, but they're not really married. Oh, technically, they go to a house, but it's not home. They live loveless lives. They pass through the night, see each other like ships. Their lives are cold. I see relationships between brothers and sisters and friends that should be filled with love. People who say they love Jesus Christ as their Savior, but there's jealousy and envy and strife. 
oh, dear friend, don't live that type of life. Don't live a fruitless life. It's Friday night. It was about 6 o'clock. Got a phone call. Brother Norman's daughter. He was working out in the yard, as he liked to do in the morning, picking up sticks, doing the things for his daughter. Came back, sat in his chair, went to sleep, woke up in heaven. You know, when you're in the hospital and it's just you and him, and his wife is over to the side breathing her last breaths, as we were just a few weeks there in North Florida Hospital, he shared with me his life. And if he was here this morning, he would get up and tell you there's some things in life he regret. Things, decisions he, like, like all of those, he wished he wouldn't have done. But he ended his life by the grace of God well. You know what I know about Brother Norman? He loved the church. <laughs> he loved this book. He loved this book. He loved his wife. And he loved God. And right now, he's with God. He ended well. How about you? You say, preacher, I got a long time. <laughs> I thought Brother Norman had a few more days too. You go over to that cemetery right down the road to the left. You'll look in that cemetery and you'll see grave markers of people 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, everyone. There's no guarantee how long you're going to live. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. You think, I got a long time. No, you don't know how long you have. Is your life fruitful? You say, preacher, one of these days, when? No, no, no. One of these days, when? Now's the time. 